Hello and welcome to The Stushy, the Scottish politics podcast from DC Thompson that helps you be better briefed. I'm Andy Phillip, and on this episode, I'm joined by Justin Bowie and Adele Merson to look at the big stories in Scottish politics. Last week, it was all about the COVID inquiry, mostly thanks to the WhatsApps and clinical advisor, Jason Meach, but there was lots of meat in there too for those looking. We'll discuss the latest on that and what it means for the way decisions are made in Scotland. We're also looking at another inquiry, the one which has been promised to look at the way disgraced surgeon Sam Elgemel was allowed to operate from Dundee. This being Scotland, there is, of course, a recurring cast list. The focus of this week's Elgemel chat is none other than Jason Leach, who you will remember from just five seconds ago at the COVID inquiry chat. We're discussing him like a household name these days, which he basically was in the pandemic um, for those who were watching their tellies for updates all the time. Beyond Scotland too, thanks to his TV sparring with folk like Piers Morgan. Uh, well, suddenly he's famous again, but maybe not in the way he wants. Then, for a bit of light relief, Adele Merson will tell us all about the shiny things that we might not get anymore, thanks to the enormous squeeze on finances, the stinking legacy of Liz Truss's economic madness, and a whole lot more. And I feel that this is a week as well where we will bring out the gong and award a stoosh of the week as well, which we will dole out at the end. Keen listeners will have detected that common name in the above, Jason Leach. His messages have been spilling out into the UK COVID inquiry, shedding light on a chummy role he seems to have played with elected government leaders. He's there with Hamza Yousaf and Nicola Sturgeon, and he keeps coming up in everybody else's messages. On Tuesday in particular, he was describing an angry meeting with Nicola Sturgeon over budgets as, in his words, absolutely ridiculous. But that's not why we want to focus on him. He also appears in the Elgemel inquiry. Justin Bowie, can you please explain why we have an inquiry on Elgemel for those that need a quick catch up? So for those that are unaware, Elgemel was a neurosurgeon that worked for NHS Tayside between 1995 and 2013. When he first came in, he was seen as a great hire for the health board, a sort of renowned figure, a, a doctor hired from you know outside the Tayside area. But over the years, he harmed an untold number of patients. There's more than 100 people who claim they've been harmed by him now. And patients for years fought for an inquiry because they argued that NHS Tayside, the health board he worked for, failed to stop him when they should have. And that inquiry was granted by Hamza Yousaf last September. Okay. So how did Jason Leach's name get linked to this inquiry? Because um, there's a lot of bleed over here. So... Obviously, once the inquiry was announced, the government and government officials started looking for somebody to chair that inquiry, so somebody who is going to oversee it. And last week, we reported that um, Professor Jason Leach has been involved in elements of that inquiry. His name was mentioned by Michael Matheson to patients as somebody who would help oversee it, not necessarily as the person that was going to be directly looking for the chair, but he is the national clinical director and officials within his directorate are looking for you know, the, the person who is, is going to chair that inquiry. So that sparked concerns from patients due, due to all the things that you mentioned at the start there about his role during COVID, about concerns due to transparency. But, mm -hmm. but that has been a bit of a back and forth. The government have tried to downplay his involvement. They are now claiming that he's not involved. But, but the concern is now he may not be the one picking the chair but, but is he still indirectly involved by virtue of his position and by virtue of the fact that staff he knows are, are very closely involved here? Yeah. And it gets a little bit more complicated for the campaigners and the patients because we reported um, just a few days ago 
that Jason Leach has actually been an NHS Tayside employee on secondment to the Scottish government all this time. El Jamel, of course, did all his business at NHS Tayside. So there's a another little sting in this story there. Yes, of course. So for those that are unaware, of course, yeah, it was reported at the weekend that Jason Leach is not... He works for the Scottish government, but he is not officially an employee of the Scottish government. As you said, it's that term secondment, where he is employed by Tayside, but gives his services to the government under what they call a service level agreement. But that just sparks more concerns for patients. He may not, again, be directly doing work for NHS Tayside, but he has been on the payroll at the same time as Eljamel would have been in the payroll. You know, mm-hmm. he'd have been in the payroll at the same time as you know, senior figures within NHS Tayside were being criticised for you know, how, how they handled this scandal at the time. So it creates that potential conflict of interest. And also, mm-hmm. I think people have a right to ask, well, why is he working for NHS Tayside? Or why is he employed by them, sorry? Why doesn't he just directly get employed for the government? I mean, it, it's fair to point out here that the government have argued this is a usual arrangement. Um, they say that, you know, Jason Leach is not the only person who works for a health board and is then seconded to the government. But until very recently, that this fact was unknown. And I think it just creates more questions around conflict of interest and transparency in a saga where, you know, lack of transparency and you know, lack of truthfulness has been at the centre of the whole thing. Okay. Well, th- this was discussed in the Scottish Parliament after your story on Tuesday and bringing together all of those elements, the the chummy role with senior people in the government, which we're seeing through the WhatsApps that have come out in the COVID inquiry, the past life on the payroll of NHS Tayside, the, the small circle that exists in Scotland, let alone somewhere like NHS Tayside. So an MSP, uh, Liz Smith, brought this up uh, in a question to the Health Secretary, Michael Matheson. So Talk us a little bit through what she was saying and, and what Michael Matheson responded with. So Liz Smith was asking for clarification in regards to Jason Leach's involvement in this. And she pressed Michael Matheson quite strongly on the topic. Again, argued that Jason Leach may not be directly involved, but is there any indirect involvement? Because the, the patients are clearly unhappy with the prospect of that. Michael Matheson repeated the government line and said that Jason Leach is not involved at all. But again, he then later used that phrase of no direct involvement. Um, Liz Smith was one of the people strongly pushing for a public inquiry. She has um, been representing patients on this in the parliament for years. So she obviously had a strong interest in kind of finding out more information here. And I think one aspect of the exchanges in parliament yesterday, which was interesting, was Michael Matheson was asked a follow-up question um, by Labour about you know whether Jason Leach has to declare you know financial interests and whether he has to follow the civil servants code, and Michael Matheson said that was a matter for the, the civil service, so essentially didn't answer it, mm. and that's created further concerns. You know, in, in his role as an NHS Tayside employee, is, is Jason Leach potentially able to dodge scrutiny in a way that you know a government minister isn't, for example? Mm. So that created further concerns. But yeah, Liz Smith obviously pushed um, Michael Matheson quite strongly on this topic. I spoke to Liz Smith, a Conservative MSP in Mid-Scotland and Fife, who, as we said, was has backed LGML campaigners for years. 
I caught up with her in Parliament just after she'd asked the question and I asked her if she was satisfied with the Health Secretary's response. I think there are still questions to be answered. I mean, I got the impression that he was not being clear in the way that I asked about whether there had been any indirect involvement of Jason Leach in the Elgermel case. Um, he seemed to rule out that there had been any, any direct involvement, but he didn't say that about the indirect involvement, which probably means that there was some discussion between uh, Jason Leach and some other people um, in, in the case and I think it's absolutely paramount that we get clarity on what that was. And certainly from the patient's uh, point of view, they will want uh, that transparency. They want to know the truth about whether or not uh, uh, he has been involved. And if he was, what was his role? Are you surprised that the campaigners don't let, uh, they're not letting this wash with them at all? They think that the government just needs to, to be much more clear with Jason Leach's involvement. But in truth, is Jason Leach becoming a distraction? Well, I've worked with the campaigners for a very long, particularly two of them, for a very long time, like, you know, almost 11 years now. And I understand the concerns that they have and the emotions that they have, not least when you see um, uh, other aspects of um, El Jamel in your uh, paper this morning, where he's obviously working in Libya and, you know, we get the poster boy image and things. I mean, I think that must be absolutely so difficult for these patients to take. Is Jason Leach a distraction? I don't think they think so because obviously uh, we've seen in the COVID inquiry that you know Jason Leach has got questions to answer there and I think the patients feel that he's got questions to answer over whether in any way he was involved in the El Jamel case and they feel very strongly, and I can understand this, that if he had been, he was not the appropriate person uh, to be uh, taking anything forward. What can the government do now then to make some clear water between the involvement of people who may or may not have conflicts of interest and to keep the campaigners on side and to prove that this truly will be an independent public inquiry? Well, it absolutely has to be an independent inquiry. That's what I've asked for for a long time and that's what the government promised was going to happen. I think it would be very important soon to have the announcement of the chair of that independent inquiry because um, I think it's important that the uh, patients have trust in that person and the Scottish Government should stop dragging its heels uh, on setting up that independent inquiry. But the other aspect of this case is about the clinical one-to-one -one reviews and I think a lot of patients feel that they are not clear about that process and they want to be clear because obviously on a personal level uh, that medical and in some cases mental trauma uh, is so difficult for them to take, so they want to be clear about that as well. And I think it is incumbent upon the Scottish Government to be clear about what they do. I mean, I personally don't understand why they would shy away from that transparency. It's urgent, and it's the right thing to do with people who are suffering uh, so so greatly over what happened to them with El Jamil. So, Justin, you were listening to that. What, what happens next? Well... I guess questions are going to continue to be asked about Jason Leach's involvement in all this. I mean, one thing to note is that the process of finding a chair for the public inquiry seems to be making progress. Patients are unhappy with the sort of what they call the glacial pace of it, but we, we seem to be nearing the point where a chair is likely to be appointed. Um, but I imagine if the patients are unhappy with who that chair is, if they feel that they are not suitable for the position, further scrutiny will, will continue of... Jason Leach's links to all of this. And of course, we are still in the midst of the UK COVID inquiry. We have been seeing regular messages between the key participants in that and 
Jason Leach, you know, you mentioned Humza Yousaf, Nicola Sturgeon. I imagine if there are further messages which um, paint Professor Leach in a bad light, that pressure is only going to continue to build. I, I mean, it's important to note since we have been covering, you know, the LGML story, you know, for years now in, in the Courier, these patients are unrelenting. If they have a concern, if they have a problem, they will understandably push it and push it and push it and, and, and not let it go away. So I think the government hope this one just dies down and, you know, they have made their argument that he is not directly involved in all of this. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think patients are necessarily buying that. They remain sceptical and the government is going to have to do a lot of work to convince them that this process is fully transparent and, you know, a process that patients are happy with. Okay. Moving on from inquiries, the budget or the lack of money in it has started to show itself in multiple places. Adele Merson from the Press and Journal has been tracking a number of projects, promises and plans which appear to be hitting the rocks right now. It does seem like it's starting to come apart a bit. What's what's happening with um, these projects, Adele? I think, as you say, it feels like this has been the week where we finally started to see the tangible sort of effect impacts of the the budget the budget was obviously set in december but i think we've had christmas and then you you need a few weeks for for different sort of departments to really understand what this means for them mm-hmm. so yeah there's a lot of doom and gloom but uh, but very sort of briefly the, the, the certain things that have, have come to the fore over the last week or so have been that the scottish government advised all health boards across scotland to pause all the kind of capital projects that they may have coming up. So just taking sort of P&J patch, there's quite a few significant developments within that. Things like the National Treatment Centre in Grampian, which the whole kind of premise behind those is that it will help cut waiting times. So that's really significant. If that's delayed, then that's going to have impacts on the kind of rest of the service. We've also heard from Northeast Scotland College this week. I think often they get sometimes forgotten about when we're discussing higher education. We tend to sometimes focus on on university funding and university places, but they've admitted this week that they are likely to have to cut full-time places. Now, that's quite significant. I, I was quite struck by the fact that around a third of school leavers in Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire will have that college as their next destination so there's a lot of young people out there potentially wanting to start courses and if there's going to be less course places available then that that's worrying for them and you've also got the the impact on specifically in a kind of Aberdeen context colleges are really useful for the work that they do with employers you know it's not just school leavers but they they offer or did <laughs> until their, po- their funding got paused they did offer sort of additional training to companies that maybe want to access free training for staff to gain new skills and perhaps move into sort of different roles. That's really important, I think, in Aberdeen, where you're trying to move towards this energy energy transition and moving away from fossil fuels. So, yeah, incredibly significant things happening. It's not just the plans that are underway as well, is it, Adele? You've talked about the national treatment centres. You've talked about colleges which are up and running I, I went to Aberdeen College as well, and, and I agree that there's uh, from from school, and I agree that they're always seen as the sort of forgotten part of the further education uh, system. And um, I don't know really why that is, but a lot of focus on universities, where, as you point out, loads of people get their opportunities 
from colleges before they go on to do something else. Um, moving on from health and education, you go to transport and you were reporting just the day before we recorded this about how yet another promise, long held promise to to invest heavily in connecting the far flung corners of Scotland to the central belt. That's also kind of hit the buffers. Yes, I have been a reporter 10 years uh, in February. So I remember following this this particular project basically since I became a reporter. I think the city deal was signed in 2016 and brought with it a big investment package for Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. Additional to that, the Scottish government pledged 254 million for sort of transport infrastructure projects. So 200 million of that was to go on cutting journey times between Aberdeen and the Central Belt by around 20 minutes, they hoped. So far, you know, we're now in 2024 and they have spent around 8.5 million of that 200 million and you don't get any quicker as far as I've been able to tell to the central belt from Aberdeen at the moment so right now it feels like a far away even more far away because the government has said this week that they will have to they are sorry currently reviewing that project so I think where we are just now it's it's not fair to say probably that none of these you know, none of these projects are going to get going again. They will. But I think the government's in this process until around spring and until we see the kind of budget actually passed in February. They're in this process where they're just kind of, everything is back on the table and everything's being reviewed, it feels like. And I guess it's a, it's really down to the government to say what are their priority areas. So I think there will be disappointments for some people with some projects, but mm-hmm. inevitably they're going to be delayed because they're currently paused. But yeah, Yeah. not fair to say they may not happen, but it's an interesting one. Yeah, there's a question mark over the timing and there's a question mark over a lot of things. I mean, we we, we talk about the roads as well, the A9, A86. Um, But with the rail one, hopefully one day the the remote people of the Central Belt will finally get their journeys to Aberdeen and the South cut by 20 minutes (laughs) and they can all celebrate at last. We're talking about this and we did, we have been a little bit on the pessimistic side here today, but I mean, is there any, is there any note of positivity that you can take out of the, the week where you've been looking at things like budgets and inquiries and things like that, Adele, not to put you on the spot too much, but give us something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a struggle to, to find um, positive, happy stories at the moment. And, and this isn't necessarily a positive, happy story, but the Person Journal has been following the the journey of of the monkey that escaped from highland wildlife center and although as i say it's a sad story in the sense of this monkey is kind of seems to be lost it's i guess it's quite heartwarming the way people are sort of rallying for this, for this <laughs> rallying for this monkey uh, that would be my strangely positive story i guess i guess it takes your mind off the budget cuts <laughs> A monkey on the loose near Aviemore. I mean, why not? Um, I I was uh, I was listening to Richard Lockhead, a government minister, uh, talking about the jobs that could come from the spaceport in Shetland and the places that are connected to that as well. And he was talking about how that might come with twenty thousand new jobs around the country within a decade as we start flinging little satellites up into space. I thought that was um, pretty positive, and it is also an opportunity for me to give a wee shameless plug to what I thought was a really excellent um, interview two weeks ago, I think two weeks ago. You can see it on our 
previous list of episodes anyway, if you go and search back, with the man who is behind the Saxofjord spaceport in Shetland, um, talking about the benefits that that can have to the country and locally from schools to jobs to everything. Um, that's something to aim high with as well. And um, I don't know, Justin, if you've been contemplating uh, all the doom and gloom as well, is there anything catch, catching your eye this week that might give us a little bit of comfort? Yeah, one in particular was obviously the Prime Minister has announced a ban on disposable vapes. Some people might not be happy with that. Some people might be gutted, but there's been a lot of legitimate concerns around their use. You know, they're not great for the environment because people are just chucking them away. You know, there's health concerns, especially among, you know, a lot of younger people, teenagers seem to be using them pretty regularly. So it, it seems like a fairly cut and dry case that the ban on them is probably a good thing overall, I, I would argue. So I think it's always good when you see some swift, immediate action on something that's a problem and hopefully um, that can just be dealt with. Yeah, and it's something that we will return to there because um, there's a long, long chats about the smoking age being raised so that people born after a certain date will never, ever be allowed to buy cigarettes. There's the thing about vaping as well now as, as people get um, a bit more conscious about what they might mean. Um Add to that how every dry January appears to be getting healthier and healthier. It's making me feel very worried. But um, we'll definitely return to these um, subjects as they start to crank their way through Parliament and into government, on the government desks. However, before we go, I think we need to end with a with an award. Um, we occasionally, occasional series of the Stoosh of the Week where we we give a special award to someone who's managed to go above and beyond by getting themselves in the headlines, not always for the good reasons. And I think having been in our TV screens for the pandemic, kind of gone away and then just erupted back into the to public life by um, appearing in everybody's uh, WhatsApp groups, talking about every single um, inquiry and in basically having a laugh with everyone that we've elected into government. I think it it, it goes out saying that uh, this week's Stoosh of the Week is Jason Leach. Stoosh of the Week. And that's it for this week. Thanks to Adele Marson, Justin Bowie and producer Marvin McIntyre. We'll be back next week for more. Until then, pick up a paper or log on to The Courier, The Press and Journal, Sunday Post and all of our news brands so that you can be better briefed. 